Thanks for joining Cornerstone for our weekly message. We hope that it encourages and inspires you. To connect with our church family and to watch our live streams, please visit our website at sparkswillfly.cc. Feel good in your soul? All right. Let's go to um, Hebrews, the the 12th chapter. Tongue tied a little bit right there. Hey, before y'all jump down, y'all just hang out right here just a minute. I just feel the Lord really strong. I just want to make sure that I don't miss him. I know y'all worn out. Hebrews chapter 12. In those Wednesday night. I don't want to raise your hand if you're not, but but I can tell you this: this Wednesday night is gonna be off the chain. I mean, the power of the Lord was really, really present in this place uh, when we were recording, and so um, you just you'll want to get in into that. We're um, and. Mitch is going to have all of that available on his website. He is just, well, not me on there, but just his whole series of that teaching. And so we're going to, we're going to put that at the end, try to have that where that's available to everyone to get and um, on that. But it was uh, it's really good in here on Wednesday. So I'm going back, really, I'm going to jump back into the topic. I'm just mining out of the same uh, vein, okay? Just coming at it as a different angle here. And so I want to read the first two verses, Hebrews chapter 12. And and I'm going to talk about, basically, I'm going to be preaching about forgiveness and letting go of the wounds. You okay? So probably this is a subject that there's not any individual in this room that doesn't struggle with. I promise you, I've got some, I've got probably 20 hours in what I'm going to teach this morning in, in a condensed form. So, Father, we just thank you. How many feel the Spirit of the Lord in this room? I feel His love, His mercy, and His grace. Father, we love you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Father, I pray this morning, let your word unlock the hidden places of our heart. Peter talks about the engrafted word. Let the word penetrate us deeply. Let it bring everlasting change. In the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I'm going to read this out of the Passion Translation. It says, for as, as for us, we have all these great witnesses who encircle us like clouds. So we must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin. Notice it didn't say 
bunch of sins, the sin we so easily fall into. How many knows if you got an open wound, you very easily to fall into a sin? Retaliation. Vengeance. So let us let us let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin we so easily fall into. Then we will be able to run life's marathon, race with passion, determination, for the path has already been marked out before us. I've never seen a runner that is about to embark on a marathon. I've never seen him pick up a backpack and have two 45-pound disc weights in the back of you. How many knows if he's running with that, he doesn't stand a chance of completing the race? And the writer of Hebrews, which I believe is Paul, and most theologians do, is telling us as believers to let go of the things that have pierced the armor on our life that has begun to weigh us down. Because you and I are not called to a sprint, we're called to a marathon. If it was a 100-yard dash, anybody could do it. Come on, somebody. We're called believers for a reason. It's called the faith for a reason. It means it's not easy, accomplished. Jesus didn't say how those that start out. He said, those that endure to the end shall be saved. Come on. So it's about completing something. When Paul laid, ran to Nero's chopping block, he writes to Timothy, for I've run the race. I've fought a good fight of faith. Now laid up for me as a crown of righteousness. So you and I are in this thing called the Christian race or the walk of faith, the race of faith, and, and the writer of Hebrews is telling us that the only way we're going to accomplish that is to learn how to live a life that we can release wounds and get the arrow tips out of our life. I've told you this multiple times, but it's worthy of repeating that Pastor Bill Johnson teaches a phenomenal teaching on this verse of Scripture where he talks about the Roman soldier. And in his battle that he would go out, there would be times. How many knows that Ephesians, where Paul's writing that, he's in a jail cell, friend. You with me now? He's not writing that from his office at the church. He's in a jail cell, and he starts out talking about running, running the race in Ephesians. Then he, in the midway, he talks about walking. How many knows this? You're not always running. Sometimes you're walking. And he brings the conclusion of that letter when he says, when you've done all that you know to do, sometimes there's people that find themselves in tragedies and things that happen in life where all we can do is stand. He says, stand, therefore, girded. And he's looking at this Roman soldier, and he brings that analogy into the Christian faith. How many knows that that armor is Jesus? Come on, friend, that we step into and he talks about taking the shield of faith where we may quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. But sometimes even the best of the warriors has things that penetrate the shield. And we find that even, even the best soldiers would have shrapnel from past, past battles that would penetrate the shield and it would become embedded or enlarged into them. And he says, take the sword of the Spirit I used to think that meant take the sword of the Spirit and go out and do battle and go out and do warfare. That's not what that verse is talking about. How many knows that the sword of the Spirit works best on you? It's a two-edged sword. It goes in to cut, but it comes out to heal. And so the soldier would take his own sword, his own, which was like a short dagger like the Ninja Turtle Raphael had. Y'all know the Ninja Turtles now. 
One of the greatest quotes I ever heard came from the Ninja Turtles. The, the Ninja Turtles was going to jump on Splinter, the teacher. And before they went to fight him, he said, remember this. I taught you everything you know, but I never taught you everything I know. <laughs> so there was these, there was these, so he would take the sword and he would go in and he would start digging in his own flesh to remove that arrow tip or this is the way Brian Simmons translates this in, in the passion. He would take and remove that shrapnel from the past battles so that it would not influence him in this current situation. So when you and I take the word of God, come on now. It was the priest when he went into the temple to do the sacrifice, he would stop at the brazen laver which had the mirrored bottom where it would bring reflection to himself. And so this morning, I promise you that we will be challenged when we look at two letters that Paul wrote. There's only two letters in the, there's only two chapters in the Bible that God gave an entire subject to, a, 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 gave a subject to a, a whole chapter. One is faith and the other is love. Hebrews 11 is God's hall of faith. And 1 Corinthians 13 is right in between the gifts of the, the gifts of the spirit and the administration of the of those gifts in the church. So let's look at this. You okay? I was reading a book, and um, let me just say this: getting hurt is a part of life. It rains on the just and the unjust. Just cause you tithe, just cause you worship, just cause you got Rick Pino in your playlist doesn't mean you're gonna be without hurts. Listen to this: getting hurt is a part of life. It's inevitable. God does not want us to be the walking wounded. He intends us to be whole and healed. Jesus said in John 16, 33, for in this unbelieving world, you will all experience trouble and sorrow, but you must be courageous, for I have conquered the world. What did Jesus tell us? In this world, in this life, because you and I live in a fallen world with fallen humanity, stuff is going to happen. Come on, y'all with me? If you don't help me, I got like 10 pages of notes. Now, we can go all day. As we would say sometimes, Junior, we ain't got to preach everything we got wrote down. Just follow the Lord. So he's, 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 listen, for in this unbelieving world, you are all going to experience trouble. So it's not when you get, it's not if you're going to get hurt, but when you get hurt. And so if we know that something is inevitable, it's going to happen, how many knows that we must be instructed on how to deal with it when it comes? I'm preaching this because I have not always handled this in a great way. I'm being challenged by God's Word into my own heart, and I'm asking the Holy Spirit to help me. Matthew 18, verse 7 says, Troubles and obstacles to your faith are inevitable. How many's got that on your sticky note in your car? Troubles and obstacles to your faith are inevitable. In other words, they're coming. It rains on the just and the unjust. The question's not going if we get hurt, but when. Listen to this. I found this story. It's good. James Garfield, the 20th president of the United States, on July the 2nd of 1881, as he was leaving Washington, D.C., after four months in office with a much-needed vacation. He was carried by horse and carriage from the White House down to the train station where he was about to leave 
and go up to New England. At this time in, in our history, the, the president was not surrounded by an entourage. He was just there with his son and the Secretary of State. As he walks through this train station, there was a guy that believed, listen to this, who was a preacher at one time, believed that God had shown him the only way to save the nation was to kill James Garfield. How many knows that did not originate in the heart of God? Men are never given over to do more evil than when they think they're doing God a justice. Religion has killed more people than any disease on the face of the earth. So he's got his pistol and he's waiting. And as James Garfield is making his way through the train station, he fires around. But he misses him and only grazes his arm. Garfield grabs his arm wondering what has happened. But then the second shot hits a target and he's hit in the lower back. He goes down bleeding. A team of 10, I think it is, medical doctors come in to examine Garfield. And you would think that if he's shot in the lower back, we would all come to the conclusion in this room, if you've not studied, studied it, that James Garfield died from a gunshot wound. But here's the reality of the story. The wound that he received was not fatal, but yet he died. Listen to me. At this time, our medical, our, our medical science was as best as it could be. They didn't understand germs. They didn't understand that things had to be sterilized. And so what happened and what took out James Garfield was the continual probing for the next 80 days to find the slug that was lodged in his back that never hit an artery and never hit a vital organ in his body. It was lodged in the tissue near the pancreas, but it never hit anything in his body that would have killed him. Had they would have left him alone and just let him heal on his own, he would have, he would have never have died. But the continual probing of that wound with, un, with unclean utensils and, and never being able to find a slug cost him his life. How many times did you and I get hurt? Come on, somebody. It, it, is not, it, was, it was not a death blow to you, friend. Come on, somebody. But the enemy always makes our trouble seem bigger than the God we serve. I came to talk to somebody. Come on now. I said, but because of the continual probing in an open wound that we refuse to take to the cross, that we take to our friends, we take to our family, and we take to anybody that will agree with us on the pain and the sorrow that we are facing, and what happens with that continual probing and continual digging, if you don't bring it to the cross, it will kill you, friend. You with me now? All right. Listen at this verse of Scripture in Isaiah verse 30. Isaiah 30 verse 26. Moreover, the light of the moon will be as the light of the sun. And the height of the sun and the light of the sun will be sevenfold as the light of seven days. Listen to this verse of Scripture. Moreover, the light of the moon, in other words, at night, is going to be as the day. And the day will be seven times brighter in your life in the day that the Lord binds up the bruise and his people binds up the bruise, bruises of his people and heals the stroke of their wound. 
So what is the benefit of taking my hurt to the cross? It moves me out of the dark seasons of life. God is saying, he's promising us, when we walk in wholeness, the night seasons of our life will be as bright as the day. Come on, somebody. And the daytime will be as bright as seven as seven times of the sun. So that's a good way that, to ask God to bring us to it. Listen to this. To move forward, I got a bunch of quotes. To move forward, you must let go of the past. The Apostle Paul told us this in Philippians chapter 3. His great scholarship and Everett trained at the feet of Gamiel, a, a, a Pharisee of Pharisees from the stock of Benjamin, said this, there's one thing that I've apprehended, one thing, one thing that I found to be true, and that is I must let go of the past and embrace the future. Now, if we're ever going to embrace the healing, I feel the Lord in this room. If we're ever going to embrace the good things that God has for us, if we're ever going to embrace the wholeness, we got to let go of old hurts. Come on, somebody. you got to let go of the past. Be willing to let it go and embrace the future, whatever it looks like. And say, God, I'm willing to let this go and embrace the future. If I'm ever going to make what, if you're ever going to obtain what I'm trying to preach to you this morning, you must be willing to let go of the past. How many knows that letting go of the past is not easy? We have to go to God. I found this that, you know, the scripture says in Luke 18 of the persistent woman, keep asking. Sometimes that ain't just keep asking for finances. Sometimes it's keep asking, God, give me the faith to let it go. Every time it comes back, God, give me the faith to let it go. Every time it comes back, God, give me the faith to let it go. And if you build and wired like me, I'm a fighter. I've always been this my entire life. I'm like a, like a bulldog. And so those with that type of personality, it's, it's, it's a little bit more of a struggle. You know, somebody comes and says, you know, Pastor John, it's, it's easy for me to forgive. I find that hard to believe. You know, I just don't hold grudges. I listen to Todd White to his message called Living Unoffended, and it'll challenge anybody in this room. But I do believe it is the heart of God for us to live. That, that, that is the only way to live. The central message of the gospel is forgiveness, friend. And the only way you're going to walk in forgiveness is you learn how to sow forgiveness. Let me just tell you this. And another thing, forgiveness doesn't necessarily always mean reconciliation. I believe that there's relationships that do not need to be re reconciled. If you have someone in your business that is constantly stealing off of your profit margin in business, you can forgive them and let them go, but you'd be a fool to hire them back to manage your finances. Are you with me now? It's, if someone is, is, is molesting my child in my home, I have to forgive them. But it doesn't mean I'm hiring them as a babysitter. Are you with me? To move forward, you have to let go of the past. You have to release what is behind and reach for what is before. Jensen says this, when you've been wronged, a poor memory is your best response. Come on. God, help me to forget in the name of the Lord. I said, when you've been wrong, your best response is a poor memory. I remember that when Grant was nine years old, he won an award in our county on, a, on the team that he was playing on. And we were in Atlanta, and he got to walk in the dugout and meet Chipper Jones. Bobby Cox and I remember Chipper talking to him and after that we watched this thing that Chipper did and he says this he said what separates a great baseball player from a good baseball player he said a great baseball player has the ability to forget his last mistake on the field and focus on the next play 
I'm telling you, church, what separates a great Christian from a mediocre Christian? One that can forget their their last mistake. One that can forget the last time someone did them wrong. Come on, somebody. And they let go of the past and they reach for the future. So let's look at this in 1 Corinthians 13. So it is, listen to this, it is impossible to walk in love until you walk in forgiveness. Listen to what I just said. It is impossible to walk in love until we learn how to walk in forgiveness. Look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Again, I'm in the Passion Translation of the Scripture. Love is large and incredibly patient. Does that describe you? Love is large and incredibly patient. I think what I'm going to do is set up a time like where it's like 3 in the morning. I'm going to start calling our church people and say, I'm sorry I dialed the wrong number. And call them like sixes, you know, five times. It'll probably only take the third time. <laughs> this would just be a litmus test to see if we live in this verse of Scripture. Love is large. I've got the first part down. I'm just working on the second part, the B clause. Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind. It refuses to be jealous when blessings come to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated. Look at this. Love is not easily irritated are quick to take offense. So if I'm walking in love, i got to choose to walk in forgiveness. Why? Because Jesus said in this fallen word, in this fallen world, that hurts and offenses are inevitable. They're coming in your lane. So if I'm going to choose what the Scripture says to walk in love, which is the greatest weapon of the Bible? Come on, somebody. Paul goes on in his instruction in this, and he said, Wherever there be prophecies, they'll fail. Wherever there be tongues, they shall cease. For the greatest of these are love. And he goes on to say that there's three that remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is what? Love. I'm just talking about the real issues of life. What are we going to choose? Let's talk about the most uh, grotesque sin. You got a child that comes home and says, I'm a homosexual, I'm gay. What are you going to do? Are you going to throw the child out or are you going to choose to walk in love? It doesn't mean we condone the sin. Are you with me? But I've trained my child to say, son, there's nothing will ever separate my pursuit of you or my love for you. And that's the standard that God said. God said in his word in Romans, nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Your sin does not separate you from the love of God. He's in constant pursuit of you. All right. I got to finish reading this up. Love is joyful. 
It celebrates honesty and find no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter for it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat for it never gives up. Listen to this. We must choose love in every circumstances. That's, always, that's the only road that you have and the only option you have as a believer is to choose that road. A fruitful life is not an accident. When you see someone that has a fruitful life in God, it is not an accident. It is the result of the right choices that have been made. You with me? Forgiveness is not about keeping score. How are you ever going to have a marriage if you keep score? I had to learn this the hard way. I used to have my scorecard in every argument that Catherine and I got out. I would pull it out like I was on, on 18 holes of golf and see how many bogeys we had in the relationship. How many knows that it never worked out in my favor? Why? Because forgiveness releases the standard back to the person. And when you release forgiveness, you have no right to bring up the past event that was done. Come on, y'all, right? So forgiveness is not about keeping score. C.S. Lewis wrote this. Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea. Everyone says that forgiveness is a lovely idea. Forgiveness is a lot like money. Everyone wants it, but no one wants to give it. Oh, my God. Let me say that again. Forgiveness is a lot like money. Everyone wants it, but few want to give it. C.S. Lewis said forgiveness is a lovely idea to we're faced with the situation of having to forgive. Let's read Matthew 18. Y'all all right? Man, I'm going to preach 20 hours and 40 minutes. Look at this. Later, Peter approached Jesus and said, how many times do I have to forgive my fellow believer who keeps offending me? Seven times. You know when, G when Peter went to Jesus, he was already ticked off with somebody. Bartholomew probably done stole his fishing tackle at least four times. Come on, let's bring that into our language. If he's approaching Jesus with this question, how many knows he's struggling with it in his heart? He's struggling with someone that's aggravating the fire out of him that he wants to go. He's, uh, I mean, we know Peter can fight now. Come on now. When the rest cowered down in the garden, it was Peter that brought out his sword and did the work now. We know he would throw down. So he's probably like a lot like me. He's about ready to throw down, but before he's ready for, but just before he gets to throwing hands, he's going to approach the Lord and ask him, how many times do I got to put up? How many times am I going to put up with Junior? I'm just going to check this out before we go throw hands. Do I got to do it seven times? So he was probably already done jacked him up six times. So Jesus answered him and said, no, not, not, not seven times. 70 times 7 in a day. 490 times. You have to look at Steve. In a, not 491 now. He said 490. <laughs> How many knows it's not a mathematical equation? 
It is to drive home the point that in every situation, the only path you have is to choose forgiveness. It's not about keeping the score and say, you know what? Junior's on 481. Huh? He don't have but nine more shots in this. It's to drive home the point that it is the only path. So Jesus looks at him and says, no, not seven times. It's 70 times seven. 490 times you must forgive your brother who sins against you. Now he goes into this. And he says, he says, he says, the kingdom realm can be illustrated like this. So now he's fixing to bring a parable. The parables were short movies of how Jesus taught the gospel. Now he's bringing in a parable to illustrate his sermon of what he just preached. Because if you just hear it, how many knows the Bible says, taste and see, Psalms 34 and 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. So he's, he's, he's bringing the taste and now he's fixing to bring the visual to their minds so that they can have a true understanding of what he's trying to communicate to them. Listen to this. There was once a king who had servants who had borrowed money from the royal treasure. He decided to settle the accounts with each of them. As he began the process, it came to his attention that one of his servants owned him $1 billion. Owed him $1 billion. It came to his attention that one of his servants owed him $1 billion. Jesus, how many? Huh? So he summoned the servant before him and said to him, pay me what you owe me. When his servant was unable to repay his debt, the king ordered that he be sold as a slave along with his wife and children and every possession they owned as payment toward his debt. The servant threw himself face down at his master's feet and begged for mercy. Please be patient with me. Just give me one more time and I will repay you all that I owe. How many knows you ain't going to go make a billion dollars in the grass cutting business in the summer? He said, please be patient. Just give me a little more time and I'll repay you all that I owe. Upon hearing his pleas, the king had compassion on his servant and released him and forgave his entire debt. No sooner had the servant left when he met one of his fellow servants who owed him $20,000. He seized him by the throat. Man, I love his translation. He seized him by the throat. And began to choke him, saying, You better pay me right now everything you owe me. His fellow servant threw himself face down at his feet and begged, Please be patient with me. If you'll just forgive me, if you'll just give me time, I'll repay you all that is owed. But the one who, who, who had his debt forgiven stubbornly refused to forgive him what he, what he was owed. He had his fellow servant thrown into prison and demanded he remain there until he repaid the debt in full. Look at this, y'all. When his associates saw what was going on, they were outraged. And when the king and told him the whole story, the king said to him, you scoundrel, is this the way you respond to my mercy? Because you begged me, I forgave you the massive debt you owe me. Why didn't you show the same mercy to your fellow servant that I showed you? In a fury of anger, the king turned him over to the prison guards and to, to be tortured, look at this, until all his debt was repaid. In the same way, 
This is a bizarre scripture right here. Look at this, friend. This is Jesus teaching a parable. What is he saying in this parable? You and I had a debt that we couldn't pay. And it was more than a billion dollars. It's your sin and your carnal nature that you and I have come into this earth with. All of your debt was stacked up. But when you went to God and you said, Father, forgive me. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to forgive me of my sins. When you said that, instantaneously, your debt was removed, never to be remembered again. Not only did he forgive you the sin that you have committed, he forgave you for every sin that you will ever commit while you're standing on the earth. And he promises you eternity in his Father's house. If we have been forgiven of that kind of debt, how much more should we be forgiven of an immature believer that has done us wrong? So now he says this, because you didn't forgive him, the king turned in his anger and threw him into prison and allowed the tormentors to torment him until he could repay his debt. Now he ends with this. So shall your heavenly Father. What? So shall your heavenly Father do unto you if you don't show forgiveness. See, a lot of the church believes this. There's only one unpardonable sin, and that is to blaspheme the Holy Ghost. You ask Christians, what is the unpardonable sin? If you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you shall not be forgiven. That is not the only unpardonable sin. If you choose not to forgive, you yourself cannot be forgiven. Come on, church, you all right? You alive in this building? Matthew 6, when Jesus taught us the model prayer, he said, Father, forgive us as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. So, so shall your heavenly Father do. Listen to this. We can be tormented in our dreams. We can be tormented with anxiety. We can be tormented with blood pressure. We can be tormented with all kind of things. And some of the root causes is this. According to the Mayo Clinic, listen to this. Holding a grudge has a negative effect on the cardiovascular and nervous systems. One study has shown that people who thought about an offense regularly experienced high blood pressure, elevated heart rates, and increased muscle tensions. What is going on in the inside is manifesting itself in the physical body. There's a college, forgive me for not quoting this, that did an entire study on forgiveness. They found this, that when they put people on a, on a slope, on an incline, to climb the mountains. The ones that were holding grudges could not endure the heart and could not endure the climb as the ones who were walking in freedom. Come on, somebody. They also did this, that a person that was holding grudges, they seen on the, on the high jump. The person that was choosing to walk in forgiveness outjumped the person who was holding the grudges every single time. It is The Word of God is not a lie, friend. Come on, somebody. That's why Paul is urging us, let us let go of every womb and every weight that has us weighed down so that we can run the race. How many want to go far in God? Y'all right? Look at Luke 23. Maybe you can Luke 23, verse 34. When we were in here teaching on Thursday, Mitch brought something out. 
And I've read this a thousand times, but how many knows you just, everybody sees something different. That's why I love the diversity in the body of Christ. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and Mitch is, is, a, is a teacher. And so teachers like to go point A, B. They like to get on the interstate and go exit to exit. The apostolic and the prophetic, I mean, they go out in the woods. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Back roads, interstate, they drive the whole terrain. You know what I'm saying? Because every time when we're teaching, he always says, and next week we go get it. But right now, you know what I'm saying? He always bringing me back. Get back right here to where we was at. You know, you way over here in three weeks from now teaching. You know what I'm saying? But listen to this. Look at this verse of Scripture. Verse, uh, Luke 23, verse 34. Let's start in verse 32. Two criminals were led away with Jesus. And all three were to be executed together. When they came to the place that is known as the skull, could teach so much right there. The guards crucified Jesus, nailing him on the center of the cross between the two criminals. While they were nailing Jesus to the cross, he prayed over and over, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Are you kidding me? How could they have a hammer? Listen, these guards had done this many times. They knew exactly what they're doing. But why does Jesus pray to his Father and ask for forgiveness to be released from him to them because they don't know what they're doing? They knew exactly what they were doing. Let me give you the key here. And if you watch this on Wednesday night, here's this. It was not them. It was the spirit that was influencing them. So let me give you a key. Our battle is not with flesh and blood. Principalities flow through personalities. So I said, well, that's just his personality. If it don't line up with the word of God, that's a principality in his personality. So what you got to understand, it's not the individual that you got to battle with. It's what's influencing the individual. And what was influencing these Roman soldiers was a decree. Come on, somebody, that was coming from the people. The Bible said Pilate feared the people was fixing to cause a riot. Come on now. And that religion is what put Jesus to the cross. And it was the spirit that was influencing these guards. So Jesus cried out, the Bible says many times, Father, forgive them. With each stroke of the whip, he cried out, forgive them. With each nail that went through the right hand, with, with the nail through the right hand, Father, forgive them. The nail through the left hand, Father, forgive them. When they plucked his beard, Father, forgive them. He cried out many times. That encourages me because I may not get it right the first time I pray. But he cried out many times with the same prayer, Father, forgive them. I'm releasing them. They don't know what they're doing. The Bible says if hell had a known, come on somebody, the outcome, he would have never crucified the Lord of glory. So he's asking, he's praying. He says, Father, forgive them. As he prays, Father, forgive them. After this, the scripture says, that he looks unto his father and he says, unto your, into your hands I commit my spirit. And the Bible says his spirit was released from his body. Matthew's account of that in the 27th chapter says when Jesus cried out with a loud voice and he gave up his spirit, the Bible says that the graves were opened. 
Let me tell you something. If you want something to unlock your life, walk in forgiveness. So many people are held in the bondage of the past that if they would only cry out, Father, forgive them, it would unlock them from the grave that they have been held in for years. Friend, I've seen this firsthand. I remember, because of people watching me, I have to be careful. In my hometown, there's a family of three brothers. And when I left, I haven't been in that city for some time. But when I was there, I spent one Christmas together. There's dividing lines on that family property and they're highlighted very well so that not one brother can cross the line to hunt another brother's property. And it's to the point that they guard it with a gun and each brother is fully aware if he crosses that line that he'll be shot and killed. How many knows that is never the heart of God? And what happened was that was greed and jealousy got in that heart because one brother got one more acre of property than the other one. grandfather had a 300 acre farm that he sold that he was never received payment for and my grandfather went to a 30 to a to a 300 acre farm and, and looked that guy in the eye and said if you can live with it I can live with it but what I watched happen is my grandfather lived into his 80s a blessed life The man that did that died a horrible death and died of disease, friend. Let me tell you something. If we won't put recompense in our own hands, there's there's two things that God says belong to me. One is the tithe and the other is vengeance. But when you and I get wrong, the first thing we want is justice and we want to take vengeance in our own hands. Are you with me now? Somebody says, well, you, you believe God is God of common. No, I believe, I believe that God is not mocked whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Come on now. You could, you, could dis- you could say that God's full of grace and the law of gravity don't exist, but if you climb your hind end up on top of this building and jump off, you're going to die, friend. We, we cannot violate the Scripture. I'm amazed at how many, how many Christians... Some talking on the internet, how they violate the scripture and they believe that the presence of God and Yahweh is with them. All right. Let's let's finish up with this. Ephesians chapter 4. This is good right here. This this is now fixing to get in on my own sins. Someone said, oh, Lord, he fit tell us his sins. Let's get ready. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. The Bible says that love doesn't keep score. So we went through that. If we're going to walk in love, we got to choose forgiveness. Love doesn't keep score. So if we've been forgiven of a great debt, what do we got to do? We got to forgive others. Jesus said, I mean, when Peter said, how many times I got to forgive him? Seven times? No, you got to give him seven, forgive him seven times 70, 490 times a day. It is not the mathematical equation. It is, to, it is the pathway of forgiveness that he's, that he's called us to, okay? Now, let's look at this. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the Bible says that love is extremely patient. It is not easily angered, okay? Now, how many 
besides me in this room would say, I, I will be honest right now, I have not walked in that to a great measure of my life. I can be easily angered at times. Let me tell you how you can become easily angered. Let finances get tight. Let kids get out of control. Let there's pressures. How many knows that there's pressure in this life? Just because you preach the gospel or just because you're a prophet or just because you run down here to the altar and wave flags during worship doesn't mean pressure doesn't come to your household. Like people, like you, we watch these people on TV, the, your great Christian preachers on TV, and we think that no tragedy ever happens in their life. I think it was T.D. Jakes, came, his daughter came home at 13 years old and said, I'm pregnant. What do you do on that? When you got a national platform and your 13-year-old daughter says she's pregnant. I can tell you this, what we don't do is we don't throw the child out. Come on, somebody. And that's where we failed at a church. We, we failed as a church with a lot of these sins that we've, we've deemed the unpardonable sin. But I ain't seen nobody throw it out of church because they was fat. Man, come on, y'all get off of me now. The Bible says gluttony is a sin. We don't throw people out of church because they run their mouth and talk about people. If that was the case, there'd be 10 people in the church this morning. Hello. And we'd have to bring a preacher in. Y'all ain't want to get no real. Y'all just want to fake it out. I'm telling you right now. Huh? Let me tell you how you get real. I was a, I was at, when I was in my uh, early 20s, I was a youth pastor. And I had a, a kid that graduated high school, and at this time he wanted to be a pilot. So his dad sent him to pilot school. And one weekend, one weekend we were all going to eat in Vidalia. There was a place we were going to eat. And so all our men got on a bus. We went to Vidalia. Well, this kid, he had, he had been flying a good bit, and he wanted to fly. So what we decided to do was, uh, how many remember my good friend, Pastor Dale Banjo, I mean, the pastors in the assemblies, he's preached here. He was in that plane. And so we took two kids that had never been in a plane and said, y'all fly over. Man, they had a great flight over there. And this kid that was flying the plane was like a, I mean, a, he was like a buck 15 soaking wet. I mean, he's a small guy. And so he and I had flown a, a, one time in a small little Cessna. And my wife said when we took off the runway, said the plane just tilted like that on my side and it got level. So they leave. This is how you know you can get real. So, because we fake it out on Sunday morning. You with me now? And um, so uh, they leave from Vidalia, going to fly back to Jessup. We put two more kids in there. Well, in them trying to show out and they're going to show us how fast the plane was, they take off. When they close the door, he let the seatbelt hanging outside the door. Plane takes off, they get in the air. What do you think's happening with that strap and that seatbelt hanging out? It's beating the side of the plane. <laughs> so now he's on the radio, Mayday, whatever he call it. You know what I'm saying? I need emergency landing. So he calls for emergency landing. He's been landing this plane in Reedsville. The two kids that I'd preach to every Wednesday night that come fake it out on Wednesday night, how many knows they got real with everybody in that plane that night? They confessed every sin they ever had committed. But what happened in their life that night, true freedom entered into their life. But they stayed on the ground until somebody went and got them. And then, God. So look at this. Y'all right? I'm finna finish right here with this. 
Ephesians 4.26. But don't let the passion of your emotions. Oh, my gosh. Man, I'm telling you, if this don't do nothing, this is helping John. I'm I don't know if nobody getting nothing up in here. I'm preaching this for the people walking, watching. I got three people watching, so I'm preaching it to them. But don't let the passion of your emotions lead you to sin. Let me tell you this. Getting angry is not a sin. Letting your anger get out of control is a sin. Jesus was ticked off when he went in there into the temple when they were selling the doves, the offering. He wasn't upset because they was making money. He teaches us to make money. He was upset that they reduced worship down that you could just buy it. Because if worship, when worship ceased to cost, it ceased to be worship. David told Onan that I cannot, I cannot, uh, I cannot take this property for free. I cannot offer to God, which doesn't cost me nothing. So look at what he's saying here. But don't let the passion of your emotions lead you to sin. Don't let anger control you or be fueled for revenge, not even for a day. Now here's where the wound gets tricky. We know that it's inevitable. It's coming. You're going to become offended. You're going, it's going to happen. I'm going to let you down. Any pastor, listen, and if you go find the perfect church, don't join it because you're going to ruin it. There's not a leader because he's human. We're going to fail each other. We need to understand that. But if you don't deal with the wound and you don't deal with the unforgiveness, it's going to fuel something in you called anger. And anger, when it matures in you, will turn into revenge. I'll get them. Just waiting for an opportune time. I'll get them. Ain't nobody ever said that besides me. And how many knows this? This is a good, this is a good rule of thumb. I don't, I have not always lived by this, but I'm asking the Lord to help me this. <clears throat> Anger is not sin, mismanaging it is. Anger falls one letter short of danger. Y'all, this is good. Anger falls one short, one letter short of danger. And the best way to manage your anger is delay. We had a rule when Grant was 10 years old. I'm going to tell you two times I lost it, blown it. I tell, I tell my own sins. These is, let me say these two times I lost it publicly. I've not always managed this well. When we played baseball on certain teams, there was a rule book handed to every parent or whatever, just like if your kid plays high school sports. Here's the thing. If something happened on the ball field, it could not be addressed that day. There was a 48-hour time period before you could call or, or talk or discuss with the coaching staff what happened on the field. Why was that a good rule? Because in the heat of emotions, when the coach just lost the game and you're displeased by what was done to your child, probably not going to handle it well. But if you give yourself 48 hours and time to cool down, you will probably respond with wisdom. Listen at this verse of scripture in Proverbs, verse 16, verse 32, chapter 16, verse 32. Do you want to be a mighty warrior? 
It is better to be known as one who is patient and slow to anger. Listen to this. Do you want to conquer or rule a city? You want to be in leadership in the city? He says, rule over your temper before you attempt to rule a city. Y'all, this is challenging right here. Y'all all right? Can you, uh, I know I'm preaching a long time. I'm, I'm gonna get, you're going to get your money's worth. I went and heard God preach for an hour and ten minutes. He preached like five scriptures. I come home and told Calvin, I said, lie, Lord, I want to see how he's in the ministry. If we want to rule a city, learn how to rule your temper. You want to be a mighty warrior? It's, it's, it's better than being a mighty warrior to be slow to anger. When Grant was four years old, I bought him a motorcycle. Catherine passed out, went to the Honda shop, got a Honda 50 when he turned four years old. He had the full helmet, the Fox racing gear, everything. That time we was going to be motocross. You know how you go through phases with your kids. I'm coming in from work. It's 5.30 in the afternoon. I just walked into the house. Catherine was already there. Grant had taken off on his motorcycle going to his granddaddy's. Well, as I walk in the house, just come in from work. Hadn't even looked because, man, when he comes in for work, at that time I lived over there, so our local station was out of Savannah. All I wanted to see what Pat Procross said was going to be on the weather the next day. You know what I'm saying? Grant comes running in the house. He's gasping for breath. He's out of breath. He's crying. We can't understand what's going on. I mean, he's just, I mean, he's just, he's devastated by something. So it took us a minute to figure out what was going on. Well, I had a neighbor who saw him on his motorcycle. And the neighbor had been drinking. And the neighbor stops him and scolds him because he don't have a helmet on. And just, I mean, tears into him, scared him to death. He ran all the way home, left his motorcycle set beside the road. And all I heard was broken English coming out. What do you think happened? Catherine said, John, as I exited the house, Grant, we still talk about this. My neighbors were grilling. I pulled my truck right to the face of the grill. And I jumped out of that truck and I said, I want to know right now, which one of you told my boy to get off that motorcycle? It was done, I was, I was, it was done there. You know what I'm saying? I'm Pastor John, but me and my neighbors, I'm telling you. I was waiting for the first one to open their mouth and I was fixing to hit him. And just so happened, man, this is horrible. I'm telling you, I've grown somewhat, okay? He was four, he's five years old, okay? Give me some grace here. This did not happen last night. He was already judging me. He's unqualified to tow the bike. <laughs> My neighbor knew at that point where I was at. And it, his intoxication broke immediately. I was so angered. I've always been a big boy, but I probably couldn't do this today. I grabbed that motorcycle by the front porch and picked that whole motorcycle up and set it over in the truck without the tailgate down. That's how that much adrenaline was flowing through my body. I got home. There was a song that I used to play all the time says I lay it all down again 
to hear you say that I'm your friend. You know what I'm saying? And there was a Michael Combs song. If you've been in a church, Michael, Michael Combs, that song, Please Forgive Me. Man, I weep half the night. I go to my neighbor the next day and I said, I'm telling you this. I said, I'm asking you to forgive me for my sin. I said, the Bible says in Galatians 5 that the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And I did not have any self-control. Till this day, I can pull over there and that man will call me, how you doing, preacher? And he's extremely nice to me. The second time I've blown it was what I call the day from hell. Rod Parsley used to say this, the devil belched and up out of hell came that day. June the 1st, 2013, we're in Pooler, Georgia, playing a World Series tournament, which it took all summer to get to that. Grant is 10 years old. We're playing baseball into the week. It's, it's about 12 o'clock at night, and I'm in Pooler, Georgia. I got to be in the pulpit the following morning. Catherine's family there, and if you know her dad, her dad is a, man, he is very gentle. He's just a humility, just a gentle man. He's there, and about, about 2 o'clock that afternoon, my nephew come running up to me and said, John Bentley's broke his arm. And then I had a guy on my team, a dad, he said, John Ben's broke his arm. And I said, you don't know that John Ben's broke his arm. Well, there John Ben walked up to us and his arm looks like a cobra. I mean, it's both bones are snapped into. He's not even crying. He never cried until he knew he was having to go to the hospital. So we get there, God made tremendous things of the head orthopedic uh, uh, surgeon for pediatric orthopedic surgeon was there. Got us, I mean, it's unbelievable how God protected us and got us through all of that. So now it's it's 1130. I'm pulling back up after getting my son. He's in a cast. Catherine's in the car. She's we got we got the car running. John Ben's in the car. And we're going back because at a at a travel ball tournament, you got tents, coolers, the whole night. I gotta go pack everything up. You remember you remember the son? He's playing second base and the ball goes up in the air and it hits off his glove. And when it hits off his glove, the coach slung the book in disgust. And when I saw that, man, it was a moment. I, I mean, it just, man, I'm telling you, buddy, it, it just, like oxygen, just, I mean, it just went just through me. And I turned around, and I was packing my stuff up, and I pointed at him. I said, if he's not good enough, I'll get him off the field right now. And then I figured that was going to back him down. And he didn't. He turned. And when he turned, I had two tents and a chair in my hand in front of Catherine's mom and dad and her aunt and uncle. And I dropped them. And he was about here to this. And Dennis, when he realized that I was fixing to get him, by the grace of God, he stopped. And he threw his hands and he said this. He said, Big John, he said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, I can tell you this. I didn't give him the King James Scripture. I told him, I said, you take another step, I will beat you to the end of your life. And then Catherine's dad, I blown it. I blown it in front of my family and everything. In front of her aunt and uncle. In front of the team that knew me as Pastor John. I blew it. This guy was not a believer. So I picked my son up. 
Coach wanted to go down there and have a long meeting. I said, I said after we lost the game, I said, son, get your stuff up. He was 10 years old, and I told him I left part. He was asleep by the time we hit two exits down the road. I went back home. I wept all night. I didn't even go to bed. I took a shower because I had to be in the pulpit the next morning. I begged God to forgive me, but I had to go make it right. So I met with this guy. This guy wasn't a believer. He's easy. Man, I don't even care. I said, no. But God cares. And I said, I was wrong. And I sinned against you. And I sinned against God. And I said, I got to make this right. And I still got an email of where I sent him. And I said, I made the poorest representation of the gospel that you've ever seen in your life. But I said, by the grace of God, I will correct this issue in my life. And I will give victory over. So what I'm telling you, the Bible says in Ephesians 4.26, I gave you two examples. Now, Catherine's daddy, all he said is, he said, I'll never have to wonder if you'll ever defend my daughter or my grandchildren. I'm like Damon Thompson. I can preach in orange jumpers just as good as I can preach in eyes on, baby. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? All right, we got to land this plane. Listen to this. All it takes is a few minutes even a few seconds and you can lose your reputation your testimony and relationships in just a second in just moments you know what I should have done was took that in stride but what I had watched all day and and, and Cleveland I cut up this talk about the coach's kid I had watched the coach's kid boot ball after ball and nothing was ever done and that was the first ball I seen my kid boot all day but it was a costume. But you know what? He was a 10-year-old kid, and he makes mistakes. And now that he's 17, he still he still will make a mistake on the field. You know what? I watched a big leaguer for the Yankees yesterday making a ton of money who missed a ground ball that rolled right in between his legs. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. And someone's going to make a mistake with you. Someone's going to say something they shouldn't have said. And we've got to learn how to either get thick skin and we need thick skin and a short memory in the church. You with me? I'm almost done right here. I I mean, you can read Matthew 5, 21, 22. That's a really good verse of scripture. Um, I've already quoted this. Let me finish this up real quick because I want to tell you one last story. In Matthew 26, verse 52, this is when they're in the garden. When when, when they come in to, to take Jesus, Peter snatches that sword that, that, that Jesus told him to buy and he cuts off Malchus's ear. And Jesus points, puts, puts a, points his finger at him and says, put away your sword. He said, because if you want to live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. Are you with me? Two things belong to God. The tithe and vengeance. You cannot take, you cannot take it in your own hands. There was a tragedy in our community where we used to live where this this family was being destroyed because of an affair. And the dad of the son who was losing his wife because she was in an affair with another guy, the dad took it upon himself to go howling. And when he went howling, he shot this man and killed him. This trial was big in our community. 
And everybody was, you know, you know what do you do, man? I mean, I mean, tragedies now in both families. It, it went beyond an affair to now the dads took it upon himself to try to help his son out. And he's went and he's killed this man in his own yard. Now I remember when the verdict come down and the judge sent that man to prison for life without parole. He's going to die in prison. And they asked the judge, why did you do this decision? He said, I made my decision based on this. You left your house and you drove for almost one hour. You had every opportunity to calm down. You had every opportunity to reason within yourself what you were doing. You knew when you left your house and you grabbed that pistol what you were going to do. I'm telling you, the best thing we can do is time delay. Think about it. Pray about it. Don't go to your friends to discuss it. Think about it. All right, let me, let me finish this up. 1 Samuel 25. Jensen preaches this message right here. It's powerful. It's good. Tells a story about David when he is protecting the shepherds of Nabal. Nabal's name means foolish, and he acted very foolishly. He's protecting the shepherds of Nabal, and he, he goes to Nabal. He sends his men to Nabal because how many knows this? That David receives the anointing to become king at 17 years old. He does not become king until he's 30. He is almost at his 30th birthday, and here's the event recorded in 1 Samuel 25. He goes to Nabal and says, listen, we don't want no money because the Bible says Nabal was very rich. We don't want no money, but what I would like to have is get us some food, man. We out here living in the wilderness because I'm on the run from Saul. Get us some food. The Bible says that Nabal refused to feed them, and not only that, he accuses David of being a vagabond, a man who has left his master. He insults him. If you read that chapter, read this. There's a verse in the, the English Standard Version says this. David looks at his men and says this, strap on your swords. Strap your swords on. There will not be sundown tomorrow that I don't kill Nabal and every man in his family. Strap your swords. How many times do we do that? Y'all right? I know I'm preaching a long time. You're, you're all right though, right? If I was at the Baptist church, they'd be saying, preach on. No. Listen to this. So Nabal, she ain't doing nothing. Word comes back to his wife, Abigail. As word comes back to Abigail, she says, listen, David has told his men to strap their swords on and he himself has put his sword on. He leading by example. Mine's on, get yours on. We finna go down and do some business. I'm gonna kill him and every male in his household. The scripture says that Abigail comes, comes to the place. She she makes cakes and 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 she's got a meal and she's prepared the lamb and she's headed out. Now she's fitting to feed him. I mean, knows the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. That's why marriages ain't lasting no more. Women can't cook. Eat stuff out the can. He's losing his heart. Oh, man, 
my brother-in-law's aunt and uncle, she used to say, she said, I wake up every morning at 5 o'clock, cook Floyd, uh, Lloyd uh, fresh biscuits. I told her, I said, Miss Susie, I'm going to hire you to come preach a women's conference at our church. So she goes down there and she cuts David off. She heads him off. She has this conversation with him. You can read it in 1 Samuel 25. She has a conversation with him. She feeds his men and him the meal. And David says this to her. I think it's in verse 34. Blessed be Abigail. Blessed be Abigail. Who have stopped me from today from taking the Lord's salvation into my own hands. David said, you know what, Nabal? Forget it. You've disrespected me. You've dishonored me. Forget it. God, I have his way. If I'm destined to be the king, God, I have his way. You finish reading the story. Three weeks later, Nabal dies. David gets his vineyards and his wife. When we choose the path of letting it go, God will bring recompense into our life. But we cannot take it into our own hands. We cannot lose it in a moment that we're ticked off and we're angry. And all of us in this room, I'm not the only one that struggles. Catherine used to always tell our boys this. She said, if you got to get in a fight at school, you walk away. I've always told my boys, if it's inevitable, throw the first lick. <laughs> I said, listen, you, we're not looking for the fight, but it's if inevitable. You'd be all in, throw the first lick. I'm not going to wait on somebody to swing now. The heart of God is if someone smites your cheek, turn the other cheek also. Give them the other cheek. Raise your hands. Man, I feel the Lord in this room. Since then, Grant remembers both of those stories. But if he was privileged to hold the mic, he will also tell you stories of this. Dad, why'd you let him get away with that? Dad, why did you why 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 did you let him get away with that? And he would tell you that I looked in his eyes and said, God will bring everything to light. Father, I'm asking you this morning to forgive me. I am, the, I am like Peter in this room. I may not have my sword on this morning, but I know exactly where it's at because I seem to always keep it at arm's length. But Father, I don't want to live by the sword because you said if a man lives by the sword, he will die by the sword. Father, I pray one thing that this nation needs is to lay its differences aside and if we could ever walk in forgiveness. Look at the issues facing our nation that could be fixed if we would just forgive. I've not studied this out, but I believe this. You know the most, uh, the most uh, family feud in, in history 
was what? The Hatfield and McCoy's. Remember when we went to the Hatfield and McCoy's show? Probably me is the best one up in Pigeon Ford. But you know, after September 11th, they signed an official, after September 11th, they signed an official peace treaty that there would no longer be nothing held between the Hatfields and the McCoy's. They did that as a sign saying that the nation needs to heal and come together. And if the two wombs that have been known on a national scale, Family Feud was named after that, uh, that uh, Hatfield and McCoy. You know what I'm saying? That if those two families could bury the grudges and come together, the nation needs to bury the grudges and come together. Our nation needs to bury the grudges to come together and come together. You know what? There will always be there will always be injustice in this nation. And I'm not saying that we should not ever turn a blind eye. But I can tell you this, burning cities and businesses down is not the answer to our problems in America. I believe the gospel is the answer to our problems in America. And if the media would show in rural South and all over the country, black, white, Hispanic, and Asian worshiping the Lord together, that would give the, the whole world an answer. Because there's only one thing, because there's only one thing that brings the understanding of all the tribes, and that is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Because in Acts 2, they all heard and had an understanding in their own language. That's what we need to pray for. God, give me an understanding. God, give me an understanding of the language. Give me an understanding of the young African-American child. Give me an understanding of the language. Give them the understanding. But Father, I pray this morning that your heart would be displayed in this nation. Could we just pray that even above sparks that your heart would be displayed in this nation. Father, we would be people that would choose a path of forgiveness. Father, let us be slow to anger. Let us always choose the path of love. And I pray this morning you would forgive us of our shortcomings. You would give us grace and you would help us, Lord, to overcome the things that are so easily besetting us, the things that are weighing us down, the things that are causing sleepless nights, the things that are giving anxiety access to our life. God, let us let it go today. I pray in the name of Jesus, let us let it go today in the name of the Lord God. Every person that comes to your mind right now, I'm telling you, you need to say out of your mouth, God, I let that go. I let it go. I let it go right now. I will not tote that. I will not carry that. I will choose the path of love. I will choose the path of forgiveness. I will not let my anger get the best of me. I will not let my emotions control me. I am a I am a king's kid. I'm a son of the living God. I'm ruled by my spirit, not by my flesh or emotions. And so, Lord, I thank you for that right now. In the mighty name of Jesus, we receive the grace for it. We can't do it in our own might, in our own struggle, but we receive the grace to overcome this morning. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen and amen. Will you give God a great God bless you? God bless you, friend. We look forward to seeing you on Sunday. Tune in on Wednesday nights. You don't want to miss Wednesday night. It's really good. We hope you enjoyed our weekly message. Thank you for joining us. We want to connect with you. Please visit our website at sparkswillfly.cc, where you can find our social media information and directions to download our smartphone app. This will keep you connected to all things Cornerstone. We pray that you have a wonderful week.